you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you please open them to Genesis 17 and stand for the reading of God's Word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings who shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or, born or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who does not circumcise the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I would bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring and for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. 
as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. May God bless the reading of his word. Wow. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Covenants. Name changes. Circumcisions in mass. Yikes. Where do we start with this? There's just so much. How about we start with the covenants? Because that's, after all, what we're going to talk about today. So exactly what is a covenant? We've been talking about them for a few weeks. Some equate a covenant to a contract. I've heard that. Other pastors say, well, it's just nothing but an agreement. Some folks say it's an arrangement. But in essence, a covenant is more than that. It's weightier than that. It's weightier than just a contract or an agreement. O. Palmer Robertson provides a clear and concise definition in his book, The Christ of the Covenants. Robertson says, A covenant is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. Let's unpack that for a moment. Robertson said it's a covenant in blood. It binds people together. It's a bond. It's a bond. It binds people together. Just as God is relational, so his covenants are are also relational. They create a relationship, a bonding between the parties involved. A covenant commits not only is agreement between folks, it actually commits its parties to one another. It actually effectuates peace between them. And we've We'll see that in other places within this book of Genesis. And this peace that it effectuates can be maintained because of the covenant's weightiness. Because it's not just a bond. It's a bond in blood. Now, when God enters into a covenant with men, He institutes a life and death bond, a bond in blood. It's a bond that expresses the ultimacy of the commitment being made between them. Breaking it, breaking the covenant has life and death consequences. And last but not least, Robertson says, it is a bond in blood. 
is sovereignly administered. God's covenants are not characterized by bargaining, bartering, or contracting. God Almighty, the very sovereign of the universe, dictates all the terms of his covenants. And it's the second part of this bond and blood sovereignly administered that we will focus on today. Part one of the covenant we found in Genesis 15. So let's call Genesis 17 the Abrahamic covenant part two. It's part two because it's the second part of one covenant. Part one was God's promise of land. Let's go to chapter 15. And I'll read 18 through 21. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenesites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Part two, which is what we're going to talk about today, focuses on Abram's multitude of descendants. 17 chapters, uh, verses 1 through 2. When Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So as we dive into this in chapter 17, let's begin at chapter 3. Chapter 3, or verse 3 through verse 16, it kind of divides the covenant up into three sections. And each section deals with an individual who's a party in the covenant. It begins with God in verses 3 through 8. Then it moves to Abram in verses 9 through 14. Then it moves to Sarah in verses 15 and 16. Verse 3 begins, And God said to him, As for me, my covenant is with you. This portion refers to God and what he will do. God says, As for me, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my, my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This section, these five verses name all the things that God will do concerning this covenant. And this covenant, this, this section of this covenant also has a sign attached to it. And that sign is the changing of Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. This isn't the first time, it won't be the last time, that we see name changes. We're going to see one in a few minutes with Sarah. But think, go ahead to, to chapter 32 of Genesis. He changes Jacob's name to Israel because he'd striven with God. These names mean something. They're a sign of what has just happened. By changing his name from Abram to Abraham, his name is translated now father of a multitude of nations. The second section, verses 9 through 14, concerns Abraham's part in the covenant. Abraham was to be circumcised along with all of the, his male descendants. And any male born under his roof or any servant, male servant, he bought with his money. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. He who is eight days old shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation whether born in your house or bought with your money, is to be circumcised. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. He'll be cut off from his people. That's another word for saying he'll be killed. He's broken the covenant. Here we see, yeah, it's a bond in blood. You break a covenant, you suffer the consequences. Here's an interesting side note. Verse 12 says that he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. That's weird, isn't it? Well, in 1939, some, some research was done uh, on neonatal hematology, blood of 
babies. And they found that vitamin K and prothrobin, which are both blood clotting agents, are very, very low at the time of birth. But they reach their maximum level at eight days. That's protection for the baby. That they wouldn't bleed out when they were circumcised. Now, I ain't much for no fancy book learning. <laughs> but Genesis was written somewhere around 3,400, 3,500 years ago. My guess is they didn't know about that back then. I wonder how they knew. How did God know? Hmm. Well, that's a sermon for probably a different day. The third section, verses 15 and 16, it concerns Sarah's part in this covenant. Sarah was to be the one through whom Abraham's offspring was to come. Sarah, in her old age, was to be the one through whom it would be demonstrated that it was God alone who would fulfill the covenant promise. No one could make any mistake. God's going to say, okay, I'm going to use a woman who's really, really old to have this child. That way no one will question it. Everyone will know that it's of God. Verse 15 says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, remember the first section, as for me, second section, as for you, Abram, now it's as for Sarah, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now, there's really no difference in the translation of the name Sarai and Sarah. They both mean princess. But it's an illustration and a sign of her part in this covenant. Where the sign in the first part was the name change from Abram to Abraham. The sign in the second part was the sign of circumcision. The sign here is the name change of Sarah, Sarai to Sarah. And that's illustrative in the name that means princess, it's illustrated of her being a mother of nations and a mother of kings. Now when God first appeared to Abram in verse 2, he said he wanted to multiply Abram greatly. Give him many, many 
offspring, many descendants. And what was Abram's response to this? The verse tells us, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. Abram's, Abram's response to what God had just told him was a sign of deep respect and awe. The significance of this response is realized even more when if you compare it to the, his response later in verse 17, where upon hearing that his many offspring would actually come from Sarah. And God said, from, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall, come, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Abram's first response when he heard that he was going to have tons of descendants was to fall on his face in reverence and awe. His response here when he hears who it's going to come from, he falls on his face and he laughs. It showed some respect. He fell on his face, right? But there was just a smidgen of sarcasm and disbelief in there. In fact, the son he would receive from Sarah, the one who he would laugh about, would be named Isaac. And Isaac translated means he laughs. Now, in light of, I'm a big proponent, let me just interject. I'm a big, big, big proponent of letting Scripture interpret Scripture. So I jump around to see, well, what happened there, what happened there, helps make sense. So in the light of Abram's belief being reckoned to him as righteousness, back in chapter 15, verse 6, remember it said, and Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness? In light of that, it's not likely that Abram laughing was due to a lack of faith. I don't think all of a sudden he had faith, now he doesn't have faith. And the narrative that we see of a similar situation that Sarah does in chapter 18, that we haven't gone to yet, would support that. Because in that chapter, when she laughed, God disapproved of it. 
verse 11 of chapter 18. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abram, Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? But Sarah denied it. She said, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But the Lord says, no, you did laugh. I heard it. I threw that last part in. The absence of any kind of a rebuke like that to Abram, however, suggests that his laughter was not reflective of a lack of faith. Rather, it points to a limitation of his faith, so to speak. Abram's faith, just like all of us, or at least many of us, has not reached full maturity yet. It still needed to be stretched and pushed beyond its limitations. It's a sign that his faith must continue to grow if he is to continue to trust in the Lord's promises. So there's lots of moving parts in this chapter. A lot of different stuff. We've gone through a lot of stuff here in a short period of time. So the question comes down to, okay, I've got all this information here. What now? What can you take away from all of that and be encouraged by? What can you take away from all of this and be convicted by? How does it make a difference in your lives here in the 21st century? What one thing could you look at this chapter and out of all of the things we talked about, what's one thing you can take for yourself? Well, for some, they need to see that God's promises are sure. But our faith is limited. God's promises are sure. But our faith is limited, just like Abraham's faith was limited. And he's called the father of faith in the New Testament. Realize that and try to welcome the times that your faith is being stretched or pushed out of contortion, even though that is often extremely difficult. We've also seen that God's covenants are relational because 
our God, the God we worship, the God we serve is relational. And we're made in his image. Just like Abram and Sarai, he's given us a part to play in what he's doing. He's got a plan. And through his grace and his love and his desire for us to grow in faith, he's given us a part to play in that. But he's the conductor of this whole thing. He's the conductor. The one who orchestrates it all and uses it uses us in ways that will stretch us to the point where we are stronger and stronger and able to serve him more and more. What else could we take from this? We've seen that when God grabs hold of us, he'll change us in ways we can't even imagine at this point. He'll change us in ways that don't make sense. 100 years old, yeah, you can be a new father. 90 years old, yeah, you can be a new mother. He'll change our character. He even could change our name. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Sarah. He'll do it in chapter 2 with Jacob. And he'll even do it with you and with me. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one will know except the one who receives it. You and I, if we know Christ, if we trust in him, if we trust in his beautiful work of atonement, we will have a new name. It's off in the distance somewhere, but if God's word is true, if God's word is sure, we will have a new name too. We've seen through these that God will also give you the strength to obey his holy word. He provides the strength we need to obey. It's not within us. It's not, salvation is not within us. It's fully from God. 
Obedience is not from us. It's fully the result of what God has done in us. He'll give you the strength to obey him, to obey his commands, to obey his holy word and his precepts. Even when the thought of it petrifies you. Verse 22, when he had finished talking with them, God went up from Abraham. Then God took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with the money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Abraham was obedient obedient to the covenant to produce the sign of the covenant, circumcision. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> I would have had to probably, yeah, let me pray about that. But it says he did it that very day. He did exactly what God had told him to do. God will give us the strength to obey him. That's why it says fear not so much in the Bible. Don't be afraid. God will strengthen you. God will allow you. God will give you the strength to do what he commands you to do. So even though there's a million things in this chapter, there's all kinds of stuff that we can take from it. But then it will all be synthesized down. To how do you do this? All these different things that we can take from it, it all comes down to trust and faith in God and his son, his Christ that he has set, Jesus Christ, who came to earth lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and then was buried and resurrected on the third day to the glory of God and for the blessing of his people. 